Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy, and today we'll be discussing a very important, though sometimes controversial, topic, gluten, but more than that, actually, grains. We'll be answering the one question, what truth do trauma professionals need to know about grains? To help answer this question, I've brought in two functional medicine experts, Dr. Peter Osborne and Dr. Tom O'Brien. Both of them have been influential on my own health journey and are highly qualified to speak to this topic. Dr. Peter Osborne is a doctor of chiropractic and functional nutrition expert. He is certified with the American Clinical Board of Nutrition and has become one of the world's leading experts on gluten sensitivity. He is the founder of the Gluten-Free Society. His book, No Grain, No Pain, is very, very much a summary of my own story. Yes, I am sharing this episode with you because gluten and grains affected my trauma work. And as a professional, you need to know what might be affecting your clients and their ability to do trauma work. I also can't wait to introduce you to Dr. Tom O'Brien. Oh my goodness. Dr. Tom is someone who through his writings gave me answers when my autoimmune markers were off and I was having fatigue and a lot of gut issues. I never had been one who believed in any of this talk about gluten and breads and how bad they are. My whole childhood, in fact, was mostly grains, cereal, and breads. They were my favorite. I am forever grateful to Dr. Tom and have thoroughly enjoyed meeting him in person and consider myself blessed to have him as a friend now. This podcast has four main sections. Section one, discovering gluten as a root cause for pain with Dr. Peter Osborne. The science behind why gluten can cause problems in the body, again with Dr. Peter, Then Dr. Tom brings in home with the last two sections, section three on how gluten impacts the brain and section four, the long-term progression of the effects of gluten and its connection to autoimmunity. Let's jump in to section one with Dr. Peter Osborne and his story of how he discovered gluten was a problem for him. I'm a digger, right? So like when, when I don't understand something, I I ask questions and a lot of them because I want to know. And so when I was in school going through, I did an internship at the VA hospital in Houston and it was in the rheumatology department. And so Mm. the first day of this internship, I was handed a book called the primer on rheumatological disease and told to read it. And I did. I read it cover to cover and I highlighted a number of sections in the book because they were of great interest to my background in nutrition. And so what I found after being in the hospital for, you know, for a time, everybody was getting the same care regardless of their, of their diagnosis. So in the field of rheumatology, you know, whether you have rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, scleroderma, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, doesn't matter. You get the same set of drugs. And to me, that made no sense. Why are we differentiating on the diagnosis if they're not going to get a different treatment? Like that seems, Mm -hmm. first of all, that seems, I don't know, not very academic. And second of all, it seems like, why don't just put everybody on that and and the hell with any kind of testing, right? So as I read through the primer, what, what it was spelling out is that we knew what was a trigger or what, what triggers or what things could trigger autoimmunity. And, you know, this book was written by, you know, I would say experts 
right? I mean, that's typically who writes a book. Doctors get together and they each one of them writes a different chapter or they share in the writing of the chapters. And what I found in the book was that we knew that autoimmune disease could be triggered by infection. We knew it could be triggered by emotional stress and trauma. We knew it could be triggered by nutritional deficit. We knew it could be triggered by diet. We knew it could be triggered by chemical exposures, pesticides, things of that nature. So to me, like the next logical step was measure those things because you got somebody there with rheumatological disease, you know, their traditional fast forward into the future, their traditional trajectory of their outcome is going to be methotrexate and biological medicines, possibly steroids, maybe non-steroidal anti-inflammatories until their guts are so destroyed from the medicine and their immune systems are so destroyed and their joints won't be preserved anyway. And so they'll end up in a surgical consult and then the surgeon's going to want to replace the joint after you've destroyed their health. And so then they'll have failed surgery syndrome. And when they have failed surgery syndrome and they can't be rehabbed because the, the nutritional trauma and the biochemical damage from the medicines for two decades has completely made it impossible for them to heal. Now they're left to struggle. And, the, and you know, this is a VA hospital. These are, these are veterans. These are people that deserve our respect and our attention. I'm a veteran. And I really have a soft spot in my heart for anybody who took that oath and who went off and whether you fought in the war or you didn't, you have my respect because you were willing to fight in the war. So the fact that these people were just being railroaded through a system and nobody was asking questions and I'm an intern and I'm asking questions and I'm being deterred from asking those questions. I'm being told to be quiet. It's like, I don't know about you, Dr. Amy, but I spent a quarter million dollars getting an education. I paid for that education. I'm not going to be quiet. It's my right to ask questions. You are being paid by me to teach me. And so I want to know you know, what it is that we're doing here and why. And so anyway, I was deterred, 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 because I, I kept coming back saying, let's measure this. Let's look at gluten. Look, look at the relationship between gluten and the research and rheumatoid arthritis. Like there's all kinds of smoking gun evidence that there's a correlation. And then they said, no. And I said, well, let's look at fasting. Cause if you fast somebody with chronic autoimmune pain for 48 hours, their pain goes away. And I'm like, so that tells you it's in the food, possibly, right? So let's look at what may else be in the food. Let's look at food itself. Let's look at the chemicals in food, the preservatives in food. Now I was told no. And so then I went back and said, okay, well, what about what about omega-3? Because we prescribe that. Like that's something that doctors prescribe. Let's use that instead of non-steroidals and let's not destroy their GI tract and let's give them something that might give them some pain reduction that won't hurt them at the same time. And I was again told no. So when I, when I left the VA hospital, I was pretty, let's just say I was pretty, I, I won't say disgruntled. I was just, I was, I was angry because again, I knew the game and, and the game was these people weren't getting help, but they were trusting these doctors to help them. Well, one of my first patients in private practice was a little girl. You want to talk about trauma. Imagine being a parent and you, you have a daughter at the age of two gets a diagnosis of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis because her knees are so swollen, she can't crawl with the other kids. She can't play with the other kids. So you go to a rheumatologist, as this mother did, and, and you, um, you, know, you seek out the professional expert's opinion. And so here's what they do. They put her on methotrexate at the age of two, which is, in my opinion, is a travesty. For those of you listening that don't know, methotrexate's a cancer drug 
and it, it's, it suppresses the production of DNA. And so you do that in a child that's trying to grow and you're going to destroy their potential outcome of good health. So anyway, they put this little girl on methotrexate, but her pain was still not managed well. Her knees wouldn't quit swelling. So they put a port in her arm because she was in and out of the hospital so frequently for pain management. So seven years of that, right? Imagine that as a parent. And then you, you go in for that appointment after seven years and the doctor looks at you and says, you need to get your affairs in order. Your daughter's got about six months to live. We've done all we can do. Wow, it gives me chills. Yeah. And so I saw this little girl, not because her mom found me first, but because her mom struggled for seven years, got crap care, to be honest, and then was told, get ready for your daughter to die. Like to me, that's just not acceptable. And to me, I I don't know what drives me is the fact that people need to find doctors like yourself, like myself that care. Right. And that just won't brush a patient off and say, hey, you're going to die now. We've done all we can do. Like, that's just a ridiculous notion. Anyway, she came to me out of desperation and that, you know, I wasn't the first doctor. I was like the 10th doctor. And so here we are. We, we find out first thing, this little girl's got a gluten sensitivity issue. So we take her off of gluten. The swelling in her knees goes down within six months. We've got the port out of her arm. She's not dead. OK, within 12 months she's in remission and off of all medicine. And that was almost 20 years ago. Today, this little girl has gone on. She's graduated high school. She's graduated college. You know, and she's out in the workforce doing great things because we took a different approach. And so that's how I got into gluten. I got into it out of necessity for, for dealing with people with chronic painful autoimmune conditions where they were struggling and frustrated with, you know, with the standard of care. In the standard of care, suppress the symptoms, destroy health. So, mm-hmm. so that's where my passion really took me to founding Gluten Free Society to create a free resource online for people who could find this information, even if they didn't find me and could apply it in their life. And hopefully we could save lives because our goal is to save 100 million lives. As you're telling your stories, it makes me think back on when I had my autoimmune issues. And that's actually what was the factor that led me into finding functional medicine as a very conventional medicine doctor. I was actually a general surgery resident at the time. And I started experiencing different health symptoms and went into my, you know, provider, she was a nurse practitioner, but a a primary care conventional medicine provider. And we drew a ton of labs because I was needing to figure out like, why do I have no energy? What's going on? And one of the things that came back was these high autoimmune markers. And there were a few other things that happened around that same time that kind of gave me that same message that you have an autoimmune process happening. And I went and I saw rheumatology, right? And I'm sure that you can expect what they told me. I'm sitting in their office and they're telling me there's nothing we can do yet. We're just going to watch these numbers. And if your symptoms get worse, if you start to have the butterfly rash, if you uh, wake up and your joints are even more hurting or more swollen where you really can't get out of bed, then come back. We'll actually give you an official diagnosis and we'll start you on medication. And I remember asking them, Peter, is there anything I can do to get off of this trajectory? Because being a physician, like I have seen people with autoimmune conditions and that is not the quality of life that I want to have. I'm very active. Like if this would 
this would kill me to not be able to be outside and hiking and biking. And this, this is not how I can envision the rest of my life. And their answer was, no, there's really nothing that you can do that will change things that will stop this, this process from happening. And I walked out of there and kind of just like you, it's like, okay, then I'm going to start digging because I cannot, I will not accept this to be the rest of my life, found functional medicine and really started going deep into my diet. And when I'm working with people who are having experienced trauma and they're trying to change their nervous system, change these survival patterns that they have, the gut is usually the first place that I start them because it really does seem to fuel the inflammation that happens as a result of the overall biology of trauma. And there's inflammation in the brain, there's, you know, hormone imbalances sometimes, but the digestive tract is really hit hard. And with trauma, it seems that the gut is more sensitive to things, um, especially those things that are already a, a hit, an insult to our system. And so gluten and wheat is one of the first things that I'm talking to them about as far as, Hey, if we really want to get you unstuck as quickly as possible, I know that you're here for, you know, trauma work and and that kind of stuff. And we need to talk about your gut and what's going on with the constant inflammation that is happening as a result of what you're eating and that gluten every day. But this is, this is something that not many people can understand. Like, what is it about the gluten? Like, why would that be such a problem? Why would that be causing inflammation, not only in the gut, but then in other places in the body? I would love for you to kind of share with the audience, what is the inflammation that happens as a result of the gluten? Like, what is the gluten sensitivity? How would you know? Are there people, those people who have had experienced emotional stress in their life, severe emotional stress? like the veterans, right? Do you see those people as being even more sensitive to gluten or having more reactions or is it everybody in general? And what are the spectrums that you see? I don't think we could make this, this statement or claim that everybody is gluten sensitive. I haven't seen scientific evidence that supports that, but a lot of people are. And I think at last, depending on, on which research study you read, it's, it's, you know, if you're looking at celiac disease, you know, 1% of the population, if you're looking and some say up to 3%, if you're looking at non-celiac gluten sensitivity, some research, you know, says 7% of the population and some researchers think it's more like 40% of the population. So I tend, my research is biased because I see autoimmune all day long. Right. So, so in my world, it, it's even higher than 40%. I've not yet, you know, interestingly enough, I've not really yet met a case of really super active autoimmune disease that didn't have a gluten issue. Yep. So I think gluten, if we look at what gluten is, and really it's not even just gluten, I think we really have to look at grain. Gluten is a, is a family of proteins found in grain. And so it gets a lot of the credit for inciting autoimmune disease, but we really have to look at two factors. Number one, well, more than two, we have to look at how much grain people consume. Grain is the seed of grass. Like that's what grains are. They're seeds of grass and seeds are extremely hard to digest. So if you look at just the U.S. alone, more than 50% of total calories come from wheat. Um, so that means you're eating 50% or more of your calories from a seed, which is very hard to digest. So you're basically plugging your gut up with something that's very challenging and very difficult to process. 
And that's going to, in and of itself, perpetuate or create a leaky gut type of environment where there's inflammation. So we look at the total caloric consumption of grain as being a problem because grains are hard to digest. We look at the way grains are farmed. They're farmed in, in, you know, unfortunately, where you spray the ground with glyphosate, you spray it twice, right, before it's harvested because it's a desiccant that dries the crop. And then once it's done, you, you put the grain in a big bin and then you, you spray that with anti-mold factors uh, because it has a tendency to grow mold. And even though you spray it with antifungals, it still grows mold and those molds produce mycotoxins and those mycotoxins can create kidney damage and increase the risk for cancer and inflammation. So you've got those elements within grain, again, non-gluten elements. And then if you're gluten sensitive, there's the gluten element. We know that gluten can cause intestinal permeability or leaky gut. So it's, it's basically, it's ripping a hole through your gut lining, a microscopic hole through your gut lining where your poop now starts to leak into your bloodstream all the time. And so your body's trying to fight what's in your poop and that's not good, right? That's poison. There's a reason the gut is quarantined away from the bloodstream. It actually is a quarantine center that is supposed to separate you know, the good from the bad and the bad is supposed to go out in your feces and the good is supposed to come through. And that good is vitamins, minerals, right? It's, it's the phytochemicals, the plant compounds that are healthy and, and anti-inflammatory and it's the carbs, fats, and proteins, the macronutrients that we, that we need in order to sustain our energy and rebuild and repair our bodies. So when we're eating a food that's hard to digest, that's sprayed with chemicals. And if we add to the fact that we're gluten sensitive, and so that, that, you know, that food is ripping a hole in our gut and it's creating an immune response in our gut. So all of our immune power is focusing on fighting the very thing that's supposed to nourish us, right? Food is not supposed to be a battle. Uh, it's kind of like a relationship. You, you know, you know, some people say you got to work at a relationship. I say, yeah, you do in a sense, but relationships should come easy if they're good relationships. Like it shouldn't be a fight every day and neither should eating your food. So if you're eating your food and it's a constant battle and a constant fight, then your immune system reserve tank over time starts to deteriorate and your immune system becomes overreactive in a sense, a lot like a trauma patient. When they're exposed to some kind of, of psychological trauma or physical trauma, their body goes into a fight or flight mode, right? A, sy a sympathetic dominance, if you will. Well, if you're exposing yourself every day to microscopic trauma from your food, the same thing happens and you go into fight or flight. And when you go into fight or flight, you don't digest very well. Your blood is shunted away from your gut. And so digestion suffers. And now you become malnourished. And the malnourishment kind of creates a, a plateau, if you will, in a person's ability to heal and repair. Because at the end of the day, there's three flavors of trauma. If we really, really want to talk about it from a fundamental level, you have emotional, spiritual trauma. You have physical trauma, like your car accident, right? And then you have biochemical trauma. Biochemical yes. trauma is exposure to the wrong food, food sensitivity, food allergy, exposure to chemicals in your food, exposure to chemicals in the air. Think of the biochemistry as the things you're exposed to that hurt you, but you can't see it. You can only feel it. And that's all measurable. And that's where most people go wrong is they go to a counselor and they work on themselves emotionally, spiritually, right? They ignore, most people ignore the physical aspect or they're just too tired to address the physical aspect, right? And then they completely ignore the biochemistry. And it's, you know, I would say most people ignore it because their doctors tell them to. And right. you, you're traditionally medically trained and you could probably vouch for this. I mean, 
the research says, and a lot of my colleagues who are medical doctors will tell me, you know, our nutritional training was was laughable. And what it really was, it was an antithesis to nutritional training. So it was a small class, a few hours long, and we were told how unimportant nutrition was. So they didn't really get biochemical nutritional training. They got training that, that you know, told them to ignore nutrition. And so when most people go to their doctor, there's a level of, of, of expectation. You go into a doctor thinking this person went through eight plus years of school and has a knowledge of, of the framework of how the body works, including nutrition, when in fact they do not. They have a knowledge of the framework of physiology and pathophysiology and underlying inflammatory diseases. But most diseases in most medical texts, if you look at them, what does it say about their etiology? It says unknown etiology. Just like when you got your diagnosis, they said, we don't know why, but that was what would always upset me is we don't know why you have your illness, but we know how to treat it. Like, seriously, you don't know what causes it, but you know how to treat it. And you know what's right. Like that never made sense to me, which is why, I mean, I'm not against medicine, but I'm against using medicine to biochemically manipulate a symptom when we have to understand that the symptom is the fundamental alarm bell that the body sends off to try to warn a person that they need to make a change. Mm -hmm. And so if we suppress that, we're suppressing biology and allowing disease underlying to continue to, to become worse, right? To progress. So at any rate, in my opinion, the biochemistry is the most ignored element. The biochemistry, the underlying origins of illness is the most ignored element in medicine today. And I, and I really think we, we may be seeing a revolution starting, mm-hmm. you know, in that regard yeah. as in the way of functional medicine. My greatest fear, however, is that I, and I see this already happening as functional medicine becomes a more popular term. Many doctors are entering it for the wrong reasons. Like I'm in it to win it. I'm in it because of the passion. I'm in it because I love people and I want to help people get better. But some doctors get into it for the business model and that's the wrong reason. And I would just, I would just, my advice to any doctor wanting to do functional medicine is it's hard. It's hard. If you're going to get into it, it's hard. Exactly. You're you're not able to just throw something at it like you are in, in the conventional medicine. Yeah. It's not a five minute conversation. You You have to go digging. you, Mm -hmm. You dig. And if that's not what you want to do, and that's not what you're passionate about, please don't taint my career field. Like we don't need it tainted and uh, homogenized so that it becomes what I like to call green medicine, which is instead of treating you with drugs, I'm going to treat you with supplements because that's not a solution either. That's not a solution either. All right. I want to highlight those things that I don't want you trauma professionals to miss. And then we will hear from Dr. Tom O'Brien about specific things regarding gluten that are going to be unforgettable. The food we eat can create a battle inside of us, driving us into sympathetic state or the stress response. The immune system attacks what appears dangerous and unleashes a battle to try to protect us. You see, our threats and stress don't just come from without. They come from within. Stress is stress, whether it is emotional or biochemical, external or internal. The internal stress and damage is often harder and drives the body into a trauma response more than an external stress. Why? Because you can't walk away from your internal stress. You can't walk away from that battle that's happening inside of you because wherever you are, 
there it is. It has become a part of you. If the food your clients are eating are driving their nervous system into the stress response, they won't have much reserves for stress in their life. And it won't take much else to tip their system into overwhelm and into that trauma response. They may have skin disorders like acne, eczema, psoriasis, and have no idea this is a window into how full their cup is with stress from their gut inflammation. They may have joint pains or feel slow and achy and have no idea that this is a reflection of the daily battle in their gut. And guess what? They won't have much reserves for the trauma work. They're only going to be able to do a little bit. And then that seems to be enough and overwhelm them. Gluten and grains are harder to process and digest. A person who is already experiencing stress or living in a chronic freeze state can't afford the extra energy for digestion. A person experiencing this may actually feel tired after eating rather than feeling good and energized. So we can help to free energy up by educating them on how much their diet and particularly grains will be draining their energy reserves and lending itself to keeping their body in an energy depleted chronic freeze state. Inflammation drains our energy. We need energy for trauma work. Chronic inflammation is associated with the chronic freeze response, not necessarily the stress response. And I will be teaching more on that in other episodes. So what happens as that gut inflammation starts to cause inflammation throughout the body? Can that happen? Oof. He talks about inflammation being a fire. Imagine a fire happening inside your body. How ready and available would you be to do trauma work with a fire inside your body? Let's dig in with Dr. Tom O'Brien in this next section as we look at what truth do trauma professionals need to know about grains and gluten specifically as we look at the effects on the brain. How do you not fuel more inflammation that comes from trauma? That's a point I wanted to bring up today is that you have to reduce the inflammation throughout your entire body. Exactly. Well, how do you do that? Well, because inflammation at the cellular level, every disease is a disease of inflammation at the cellular yep. level. The cell's yep. on fire. The question is, is it gasoline or kerosene? And is it a brain cell or a kidney cell? But the cell's mm -hmm. always on fire. That's inflammation. So mm -hmm. we have to stop throwing gasoline on the fire or reduce the gasoline on the fire that our lifestyle is currently doing. Well, how do you do yep. that? To find out the most common source of uh, environmental triggers causing inflammation is what's on the end of your fork. And so food sensitivities and the most common food sensitivity by far is gluten, as was your experience. It was gluten. Well, why is that the most common? Because Professor Maureen Leonard, a gastroenterologist at Harvard, published a study in 2017 she looked at 64, I think it was 64, research studies on the topic of wheat. And in the summary in the Journal of the American Medical Association, she said, all humans develop transient intestinal permeability when they consume wheat. Yep. All humans. Mm -hmm. So whether you feel it or not. So if anyone who's watching this, if you happen to be human, this means you. 
whether <laughs> you like it or not. When yep. you read the science, every time you eat wheat, you throw gasoline on the fire and you get more inflammation. You also get yep. leaky gut, transient yep. intestinal permeability every time, every time. Yep. Yep. Well, I feel fine when I eat pizza. Well, we'll put that on your tombstone. You know, because <laughs> it's not it's not how you feel. You know, in exactly. Italy, they've got 36 centers where the Italian government designates these centers as wheat-related disorder centers. And if you get a diagnosis of a wheat-related disorder or a gluten-related disorder problem from them, your food bills are a tax deduction. So doctors all over the country refer their patients there to one of those six centers to get the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So a doc, your family doctor, your pediatrician, your internist suspects maybe you have a problem with wheat. Okay, so they send you to one of these centers. Yep. What do they find in the centers? People who are referred to the center with a suspected wheat problem, 7% of them have celiac disease, only 7%. Right. 93% have a gluten-related disorder, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, yep. 93%. And they tell us in those 36 centers, they looked at 15,000 people that went to those 36 centers, and they said, for every one person that comes here with gut symptoms, there are eight that don't have gut symptoms. So they feel fine when they yep. eat. They've got brain symptoms. Right. And they don't associate that when you eat pasta and the next morning you wake up and you got depression, that exactly. it's from the pasta or yes. your joint problems or your skin problems or you're losing your hair or your thyroid problems. But you, you don't have gut symptoms. So I feel fine yeah. when I eat pizza. We'll put that on your tombstone. You know. Dr. Tom, this is, this is amazing because people are coming to me now, right? And they are saying like, Hey, I'm in trauma therapy. I'm doing all the trauma therapies. I'm doing neurofeedback, biofeedback, EMDR. I'm doing somatic experience. I'm doing all the trauma therapies and yet I'm stuck. Right. And I'm looking at them and being like, well, let's look at your diet. Let's look at the inflammation because as long as there is this amount of inflammation around your nerve cells, they're going to be stuck on a cellular level in survival mode. You're not going to be able to shift to parasympathetic right. and they're not associating like, oh, that gluten, that piece of bread. I thought it was just comfort food, right? Like I reached for that because I, I felt bad and I thought it would make me feel better. And in the moment it may have, but yet they're not realizing that that's, that is exactly what's keeping them stuck in their depression, anxiety, mood, and getting them stuck in their trauma therapy. So exactly like this is exactly where I start when they come and they're looking at how do I address the biology of trauma? I'm looking at First of all, how do we bring down the inflammation in your brain, which also means addressing the inflammation in your gut? As a trauma professional, we need to understand the inflammation in the brain, which means that we need to trace that inflammation back into the gut. Next, we are going to look at the relationship of adverse childhood experiences, autoimmunity, and gluten. But first, gluten's impact is not just on the gut. It will cause inflammation in the brain the brain fog, the days. Have you seen your patients or clients just kind of sitting there and you're wondering, where are they really? Their mind seems to be away. They're not really present. They come in flustered. They don't really know how they're feeling. They drop things. They forget things. They had trouble finding the office. These are all signs of brain inflammation. 
And it can be more than that. Brain inflammation is going to drive neurotransmitter changes and thus contribute to the anxiety, depression, and mood disorders. Your patient's or client's diet has more to do with their availability to even be emotionally and mentally present for the trauma work than what you may have thought. Now, there is one more piece that is important for you to know about gluten. This brings us full circle back to Dr. Peter Osborne and his talk on autoimmunity. It is my story as well. Autoimmunity has strong associations with the body being in a chronic freeze response. Autoimmunity is literally the immune system, the body attacking itself as if we were saying, I am the problem. Hmm. Have you ever had that thought? Have your clients ever had that thought? This is the thought of the freeze response and dorsal vagal response and of autoimmunity. And it's fascinating to see that autoimmunity has a strong association with early childhood stress and the beginnings of a global high activation state and early dysregulation of the nervous system. Autoimmunity yet also has a strong association with gluten. Isn't that interesting that it would have an association with both adverse childhood experiences and gluten? For those of you working with people whose dysregulation of the nervous system started early in life, they go in and out of a chronic freeze response now, and they eat gluten and grains. We want to catch that autoimmunity before it becomes the fully developed disease. And we can do that. And that's where you have so much power that you can educate your clients, your patients on this so that they can be catching this autoimmunity before it becomes the fully developed disease. We will go into this last section with Dr. Tom to better understand this connection between gluten, autoimmunity, and how we can actually catch autoimmunity years before it becomes a fully developed diagnosable disease. You can identify the autoimmune mechanism going on years before there's been years. Yes. Mm -hmm. That now you have symptoms. Exactly. When, when you get a diagnosis of rheumatoid, you didn't just get rheumatoid. You've had it for at least 14 years. Exactly. just hadn't destroyed enough of your joints yet to cause you pain. And the more tissue that gets damaged, the more tissue, the more tissue, eventually the tissue can't work quite right. Mm -hmm. Now you get some dysfunction and eventually some dis-ease and eventually disease. Yep. That's the spectrum of autoimmunity. And it's the same thing with traumatic injuries. You're just looking for the markers. That's the NeuroZoomer Plus so that you've got a baseline to start from. Now you've got your map. Okay, I've got all these things wrong. This is not good. No, it's not. But okay, what do I do? Well, for this one, we look at this. For this one, we look at this. For this one, if you've got cytomegalovirus or herpes antibodies or Epstein-Barr antibodies, we have to work with your immune system to get your immune system stronger to keep the viruses in check. You just look at whatever is positive, and then you start working on each one of those. And what amazes me is that there's such a strong correlation between autoimmunity and uh, early childhood relationships and life experiences. If you want to go as far as the adverse childhood experiences and actually, you know, get a score, or even if you were just raised in a family where maybe it wasn't safe to be you, or you had to kind of regulate your parents' emotions, never knew which, which mood they were going to be in. And so we're always on, on that, you know, kind of walking on eggshells. We know now that that starts this progression of autoimmunity. 
And like you say, it, it starts then, and it may not actually present in their life until their thirties, until their forties. There is so much time that we can intervene in that process to stop that progression and get that train off of that track and onto a different track. If we just have this information and they're aware of the, you know, the biology and Hey, if I've had these life experiences, this is the biology that plays out and I can do something about it. Same thing with the head concussions, right? Like you can't always prevent a head injury. Sometimes you can, and we should do everything we can to, to protect our brains, but sometimes you can't. But once you know this, now you have the tools to be able to do something about it so that it does not play out to the extent that it could without this information. You know, Dr. Amy, it's so refreshing to speak to a colleague who gets the big picture. And it's really important that I think the key to success in turning around the direction our health is going, and it's really not good at all, Blue Cross Blue Shield came out last year with a report. Now, arguably, they are the largest for-profit health company in the English language. And they're all about bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. So they came out with a report last year that between 2013 and 2017, so in four years, Mm -hmm. there was a 406% increase in diagnosis of early Alzheimer's in 30 to 45 year olds. Wow. Ouch. Fourfold increase in 30 to 45 year olds in four years. And they're like, what, what? And they just couldn't believe it. So they did their stats again and again, and they finally published this. They say, we really have a problem here. Our brains are under constant attack, not just from trauma. Trauma is a big part of it because if you played soccer in high school, right, you set the stage for that brain inflammation. Now, if you also have a wheat sensitivity or a dairy sensitivity, fueling that same fire as you age, or if you live in a house with mold, you're fueling that same fire as you age, or if you are exposed to a lot of phthalates like bisphenol A because you're drinking water, spring water, out of plastic water bottles that sat in the sun on the dock before they got into the supermarket, and the BPA leaches into the water that you're drinking and it accumulates. You know, there are so many environmental triggers that we just have to start learning and ticking them off one by one. Okay, this one, no more. So I'm not going to use plastic food containers anymore. I'm going to order glass storage containers. Good, you'll never poison your family with the phthalates in the plastic that leach into the food overnight in the refrigerator. You'll never poison them again. Use the Tupperware containers to store nails out in the garage, fine, but not food. Not food. But and, and you just have to learn all of these things. And that concludes this last section for this episode. So drama professionals, what truth do you need to know about grains and gluten? Well, grains and gluten cause inflammation in the gut as well as in the brain. Grains, gluten, are one of the root causes for many autoimmune conditions, as well as other symptoms and diseases. Gluten and grains cause a sympathetic response just from the digestion process, and the inflammation from that drains a person's energy. Now, trauma, the trauma response, is an energy problem. 
by using up the body's energy fighting gluten and the inflammation it causes, we don't have much energy for the other stressors in our life. By causing brain inflammation, it will contribute to feeling emotional, sensitive, overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, not to mention that brain inflammation itself causes a freeze response. If you have listened to my other podcast episodes on the topic of brain inflammation, by draining our energy and causing inflammation, gluten will then actually contribute to the body's trauma response. It just can't take anything more. For those already living in a chronic freeze, it will contribute to keeping them in that state as the body will never feel like it has the energy to come out. As a trauma professional, should you mention people's diet? If you understand the science, if you understand the mind-body connection and understand we just have one nervous system, how could you not share information with them that will be affecting their nervous system, their capacity for stress, and thus their capacity for growth and healing? I have seen so many people get stuck in their trauma healing journey. And until they start evaluating their diet, their diet is a big piece of the biology of trauma. There is a cap to how far their healing journey can go when they have a battle going on in their body. The danger is always with them, inside of them. As a trauma professional, you know not to overwhelm them with all the things to do. I am in full alignment with what Dr. Tom O'Brien finished off with saying, start with one thing. Start with one thing. I love how we can have more tools to help our nervous system have the capacity to grow, heal, and do the work. As a result of this episode, I wouldn't be surprised if you also are going to make a few changes in your diet, in your lifestyle, not just suggesting this for your clients. Thank you for joining me for this Biology of Trauma podcast episode. I will see you on the next one. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.